This is the Politics and More podcast. I'm David Remnick. In the course of today's events, it becomes necessary for us to address, among other grievances, the president's failure to faithfully execute the law. Sadly, but with confidence and humility, with allegiance to our founders and a heart full of love for America, today I am asking our chairman to proceed with articles of impeachment. Here we are. Remember the date. Today, the House Judiciary Committee begins drafting articles of impeachment against President Donald Trump. Four American presidents have faced impeachment. And we're going to hear from someone who's had a bird's eye seat for, well, three of them. William Cohen was a Republican on the House Judiciary Committee in 1974 when he helped seal Richard Nixon's fate with his vote for impeachment. He suffered death threats and other attacks. Let me say it's not a happy occasion for me or for any of us here. That must not prevent us from meeting up to our responsibilities to pass judgment upon the conduct of our elected leaders. Then in 1998, from inside the White House, Cohen saw the impeachment of Bill Clinton. Cohen was serving as Secretary of Defense, and he had to navigate those impeachment hearings while ordering missile strikes on Iraq. And we are achieving good coverage of our targets. And as a result, we are advancing our goal of containing Saddam Hussein. And finally, in 2019, as a Republican power broker in Washington, Cohen has been trying to convince his party of a very unpopular position that Donald Trump's misdeeds are the worst of those three presidents and fully merit his impeachment. Michael Luo is the editor of NewYorker.com, and he's been writing about impeachment these past weeks. Here's Mike talking with William Cohen. I'm here. Hey, Michael. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Uh, Hold on one second, Michael. I want to make sure my watch is shut off, because if it rings, it'll interrupt it. Hold on. Okay. Um, Secretary Cohen... Can you take us back to your what it was like in your office in early 1974? What was it like to be on the committee in those early days when the investigation just got started? Well, the Judiciary Committee was not a plum assignment. I had a very small staff at that point. Uh, after all, I was just a freshman uh, congressman uh, in the Longworth building. Uh, The office was about uh, two or three rooms, as I recall, so pretty intimate. Um, But it began with the Saturday Night Massacre. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time, I think, that uh, the committee um, really felt that it was going to be involved in uh, hearings and an investigation. Did you talk about this with uh, Republican colleagues uh, in private? No, no. I hadn't spoken to any of the other members personally. Mm-hmm. I felt this was so personal. Each of us had uh, our own constituents to represent. Each of us had our own conscience uh, to uh, adhere to. Uh, and then I got that call from Tom Railsback uh, when we were about to go to the public hearings uh, to debate the issue whether articles should be brought. And Tom said, I'm having a little meeting in my office uh, at 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, would you care to come by for coffee and donuts or bagels, words to that effect? And I said, uh, yeah, but who's going to be there? He said, I have no idea. Can you tell me about Tom Railsback for the folks who are listening sure. who don't, don't know who he is? Yeah, Tom Railsback was a moderate Republican from Illinois, and uh, he was well-liked by um, all of the Republicans and many of the Democrats. He was just a good person to be around and had built friendships uh, in the Congress. 
and was quite a good athlete, and that's where I met him um, uh, on a regular basis down in the gym. Uh, I used to play a lot of basketball. He played basketball, and so uh, we would uh, shoot hoops together or play paddle ball together, and uh, he became sort of a mentor to me. Um, and yet uh, I'd still never talk to him about what I was going to do or how, what I was thinking of. Mm. So Railsback calls you. This is mm-hmm. just before the hearings begin. And he says, come by my office in the morning. And, and, right. and then uh, and you, didn't know, you didn't know who was going to be there. And no what idea. happened? Well, I, I showed up and I was surprised uh, to see Caldwell Butler. Uh, Caldwell, um, very conservative uh, from Virginia. It seemed to me that he was uh, you know, far more supportive uh, of the Republican position. And so I was surprised to see him. Uh, I was surprised to see uh, Ray Thornton, uh, conservative from Arkansas. A Democrat. Um, yes. Four Republicans and three Democrats. Right. And that was the so-called fragile coalition. I think we were all kind of pleased to see each other, but surprised to see each other. And then we, uh, I remember Walter Flowers said, let's see what we can agree upon. And as a result of that discussion, we said, well, uh, abuse of power and obstruction of justice. And uh, we um, more or less informally agreed that we would support those two articles uh, when we went public. Did you go around the room? And, ha- and, and what, did, uh, what did you say? Uh, well, I just expressed my own opinion. I was pretty much over at that point. Uh, I felt um, that the uh, the president, through his words and deeds, had committed impeachable offenses, suborning perjury, paying hush money uh, uh, to keep witnesses uh, quiet, having a uh, enemies list and asking the IRS to start uh, targeting those enemies. The tipping point surely came when he asked the CIA to intervene and stop the FBI investigation. All of those were clearly uh, an abuse of process and an obstruction of justice. Um, so I was pretty, pretty much made up my mind uh, on the, those, uh, those issues. Did you feel the history, the sense of import that you had the fate of the presidency in your hands? Uh, it was a sense of overwhelming gravity and responsibility. Uh, the the graveness of it all. Uh, not one of us were eager to vote for impeachment, given the fact that, you know, it is the ultimate power that uh, Congress has to reverse the last election mm-hmm. based upon misconduct. None of us were eager to vote for that. I had voted for President Nixon. I thought he had done a tremendous job in foreign policy. Uh, ironically enough, even after I had voted to impeach him, years later, he continued to write to me. Uh, and exchange uh, views on foreign policy. Oh, wow. And I ended up giving him a copy of a novel I had written uh, over in Bob Dole's office. So uh, it was nothing uh, personal about it. It, was, it. it really was a question of the President of the United States had failed to faithfully execute the laws of the United States. He had abused his power. He had obstructed uh, justice. This is conduct that was simply... Uh, antithetical uh, to the position uh, mm-hmm. of the president of the United States. Is, and, and so at this point, you had made up your mind, and, and was, it, uh-huh. was it known publicly? Because uh, you mentioned the hate mail. So at some point, it became clear that this is where you were leaning. Um, and when was that? And I'm guessing that's when you really started to hear it from uh, constituents. The Republican Party had sent uh, delegates down to uh, to meet with me. 
in May and June. Mm-hmm. They asked me to pledge to support the president. And all I would say is, look, I'm going to listen to the facts and I'll apply the facts of the law. And uh, What was that? Who were those people who sent them? They were party regulars, so people who were part of the, uh, the Republican Party in Maine, uh, people who had supported me. And then the mail started to come in saying uh, they were mailing, uh, you know, pennies and dimes and nickels, um, silver for uh, uh, my betrayal as such. Ah. And I think the polls in my own state uh, were running uh, two to one against impeachment or higher than that, actually. So I started getting a lot of that. I had some death threats. Uh, my, my wife was getting uh, phone calls at home and things like that. And they got uh, protection for a very short period of time. There was a bomb threat. What uh, was the protection of your, was that of your family? Yes, there were threats uh, against uh, them and me. Um, it was pretty intense. And this is, uh, this is uh, pre-Twitter. There was no president tweeting about you. Oh, no. There was no Twitter at that point, and there was no Fox. You had the three networks, and you had the New York Times and Washington Post. It was a very different era. Mm. I did not expect to be returning um, Mm. because the party said, we'll never support you again. You betrayed our trust. The money uh, was drying up uh, in terms of campaign contributions. And so it looked pretty grim uh, for me, but I had just decided that you know, I, I had to vote um, what I thought the evidence uh, established, and that's what I did. And, and, so, and you actually won re-election easily, I did. right? I, after, yeah, I did. After what? But until Nixon resigned, until that tape mm-hmm. came forward, uh, I, I don't think I would have been back. I, I, mm. I, it was it was too difficult a challenge at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I also knew that as a result of that vote, that my prospects in the Republican Party were going to be limited. Um, I had angered a lot of people uh, and, and, and in the, uh, the party itself uh, with my colleagues. And um, I knew that any aspirations that I might have had for holding leadership positions was finished. But in a way, it was very liberating uh, that mm-hmm. I wouldn't have to try to um, calculate how I could uh, ingratiate myself with colleagues that um, – I would just be a congressman. I would just be a senator and, and try to do the best job. But I never – I knew that the, the prospects of me ever gaining a leadership position were over. Uh, I've always been okay with that, that I don't need to be in a leadership position um, if it's going to cost me what I believe to be right. Yeah. And, and tell me about the hearings themselves. Well, there were two sets of conversations going on. There were the conversations going on with the Republican members uh, of the House Judiciary Committee, and that sentiment was we need to rally around the president. We were called down to the White House at one point, and uh, President Nixon was giving a rally speech in front of the Republican members from the, uh, the House, and uh, I, the words I remember most vividly was he said, I may be a son of a bitch, but I'm your son of a bitch, and applause erupted at that point. Uh, That was not my sentiment uh, at all, but that sentiment was still there. The other Republican members were still trying to hold the line, so to speak, that we all stand together with the president. Ham Fish Sr. brought Rabbi Korf to sit in the meeting and just stare at us as if to say, don't you dare move away from the president. And so that was difficult uh, to break with that. You want to be part of the party. Walter Flowers developed a bleeding ulcer during the course of the uh, the hearings. Tom Railsback lost his voice. 
I know that I came down with severe head colds and whatever just because I I was getting by on two to three hours a night just because I was preparing uh, um, over and over and over again what the evidence was. Mm. Um, It sounds like the most dramatic moment was when the vote happened on the first article of impeachment. What do you remember of that evening? Well, I think I spent uh, most of the time just trying to decide what was I going to say. When I first announced how I was going to vote, there was a public discussion. Each member had roughly 12 to 15 minutes to Mm -hmm. uh, express his or her views. And uh, I spent a lot of time on that speech trying to tell my own state, people of Maine, Mm -hmm. why I was going to vote to impeach Richard Nixon. And so having said that, when it came time for the vote and when they called the roll, um, it was kind of relief. Uh, It's over in terms of our role. We've done our job. Do you remember at all what you did afterwards, after the vote? I just went home. Did you, had you been talking, I'm, I'm very curious when you got home and what your wife said to you, and if you had been talking to your wife throughout all this of, of what was going on in your head. Well, sure. Uh, we talked about it, and she knew the pressure I was under. She didn't give me any advice. <laughs> my sons, I think, had already made up their mind before I did. And then I had my dad back in Bangor one time I was uh, going home, and I was at a place called Miller's Restaurant, and uh, CBS was following me at that point. As I walked out of the restaurant, my dad was behind me, and one of the reporters said, what is Bill going to do? And he said, oh, I think he's going to find him guilty. And I walked back. I said, Dad, hey, wait a minute. I haven't made any decision yet. <laughs> it's interesting because you were part of this group of seven moderate lawmakers who really were the tipping point. And when we think about tipping points today, we're, we're, we're mostly probably thinking about what might happen in the Senate. Do you think a tipping point could ever come? Um, at this point, I, I think not. Republicans in the Senate, in the House, they have to take into account the power of President Trump uh, over the party. It has become the Trump party. It's not the Republican party, it's the Trump party. They either act out of fear uh, or with complicity. It must be so interesting to see your vantage point on on how the Republican Party has changed because you were uh, inside the Clinton administration, Mm -hmm. Democratic administration as Secretary of Defense when he was impeached by uh, the Republican Congress. And um, Mm. that really was, I think, the beginning of the path of uh, weaponizing impeachment, and, and you can trace a, a path from that point to today. What was it like for you inside the Clinton administration seeing that process? Um, I found that the Republicans at that point, I'll give you, let me back up for a second, give you an example. We had just ordered the bombing of Saddam Hussein, and uh, uh, the mission was underway, and I got a call uh, from uh, the Republicans, Newt Gingrich and Bob Livingston saying that the, uh, the top is blowing off the Capitol uh, after, because of what Clinton is doing, waging war. And I said, well, why? And they said, well, because there's an impeachment resolution up here. Even though there's a bombing campaign underway and we're at war, 
they reported mm. out the resolution. So it, it, it rings mm. a little hollow now when the, the president complains he's over in uh, London uh, while mm-hmm. the uh, hearings are going on. Uh, they certainly didn't accord uh, Clinton any uh, grace period. Mm-hmm. Darren Watergate, Secretary of Defense Schlesinger, had wanted any emergency order coming from President Nixon be routed to him. Mm-hmm. Do you believe members of the Trump cabinet are thinking along similar lines today? Uh, I don't think there's anyone there now uh, that would exercise that kind of uh, judgment, uh, saying mm-hmm. that the president can't be trusted. I think there were people initially who were worried about some of the things he was saying behind closed doors. Uh, I don't think that story has really been fully told yet. But I don't think there's anybody there that would say uh, that we've got to uh, prevent the president from having access to the football. Final questions. One on uh, on John McCain. Yeah. Uh, uh, you were— uh, I was his best man. Best man in, yeah. best man in his wedding. Right. Um, what would he do on impeachment today, do you think? Uh, I think he would uh, he would have thumbs up instead of the thumbs down when he voted to reject the attempt to take away Obamacare. I think John mm-hmm. McCain would be the one to say this is not American. This is unpatriotic. This is this is incredible to do what we did to the uh, to the Kurds and putting their lives at risk mm-hmm. and seeing the Americans uh, run out of town, mm-hmm. so to speak. John McCain would never have tolerated that. Uh, you had said in '74 the impeachment of Richard Dixon was in the end, a positive for the country as far as the uh, the Constitution and what it stood uh, for. I think it was a positive force in 1974 because uh, to have not impeached Richard Nixon would have put us on a very dangerous course because the Justice Department has said that the president uh, can't be indicted. The president himself has said, I can't even be investigated. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean as far as the role of Congress to oversee and make sure you check abuses? If you don't have the impeachment power, then what you're saying is we don't care about about the rule of law. We don't care anymore because we like him. Uh, we like what he says and how he says it. Uh, and if they say that, then we're, well, then we're giving up on the rule of law. And this is not going to be a democracy that will be recognizable a few years from now. Thank you, Secretary Cohn. This is fantastic. Okay. Well, hope I didn't exhaust your, you or your audience. <laughs> Thank you. That was former Secretary of Defense William Cohen talking with The New Yorker's Michael Luo. Cohen is retired from public office, and he's the author of a number of novels. 